Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're picking up again at verse 11 this morning. So let's start with prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the practical advice it can give us. And uh, we just, especially uh, what we've been looking at in verse 11 is talking about how you took care of the problem of sin in our lives and what you've made us now when we were once sinners and now we're your children and and just it's uh, just encouraging to be um, to see those things that you've done for us lord we pray you'll bless our time now as we study your word help us to understand and apply uh, these things uh, we're appropriate in our own lives we ask this in christ's name amen Okay, so I think again we're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 6, start with verse 9 and read through the end of the chapter. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you that you were washed, that you were sanctified, that you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. I have the right to, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. For God has not only raised up the Lord, but also raised us up with his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and reunite and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Okay, so we see in verses 9 and 10, it basically tells us, or tells the Corinthians, you were sinners. That's what you were. That was your identity. And, and Paul lists several different classifications of sinners, but they're all sinners, and he doesn't necessarily cover all the different classifications. You know, we, we were sinners. Maybe some of these things apply to us, maybe they don't, but that's what we were. That was our identity. And that's what he tells us in verse 11, and such were some of you. But now you're something else. God's changed us. And so we looked last time at what God has done. When, uh, first he talks about being washed. You know, we've been cleansed from the guilt and the filth of our sin. Uh, we were sanctified. That means to be set apart for God's purpose and from sin. And we're made saints. That's what the word saint means. It means to be sanctified, to be set apart for God's purpose. And we were justified. Uh, 
We're declared just when we accept Christ's propitiatory sacrifice by faith. So the, the debt has been paid, and so we are now acquitted of that debt. We're declared just. We're justified. God's justice has been satisfied. Now, this is all verse 11, uh, and that's kind of where we're going to finish up today. It won't take too long to finish verse 11 and get on to the next section. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. So we're justified by God, we're washed by God, we're sanctified by God. And it says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the name refers to the person of Christ. It's not just a magic word that you say, uh, like some kind of incantation. Uh, God's name represents him. If you look in the Old Testament, it talks about Jerusalem as the city where, that God chose where his name would reside. And we know that in the temple was the Shekinah glory. That was God's name being there. It was his person, his uh, uh, manifestation of himself, I guess. Um, so it refers to the person of Christ. And so all this stuff is, is based on Christ's work on the cross. And as we went through these different terms, you know, we looked at that over and over again. You know, our justification. Christ died for our sins. He paid the price. Um, we're set apart as unto Christ uh, as he was set apart. And so all this is based on what Christ did. It's not our work, nothing we did, and we just appropriate it by faith. Let's look at Galatians chapter 2. Someone like to read verse 16 for us. Galatians 2.16. Okay, so here he's clearly debating with those uh, legalists who were telling the Galatians, well, you've got to be uh, circumcised to be saved. And, and Paul said, no way, you do not. We're justified by faith. And again, we see that in this verse basically three times. Through faith in Christ, we've believed in Christ, and we've been justified by faith in Christ. You think they got the point? <laughs> Not by the works of the law. You know, Jesus did the work. So, uh, so all these things that God has done for us are based on Christ and what he has done on our behalf. And it was accomplished through the Holy Spirit. Um, New American Standard says, and in the Spirit of our God. Other passages or other versions would say by the Spirit. It's, it's the same little Greek word can be translated in or by and sometimes it's translated one way and sometimes another. But it's the Holy Spirit as the agent who accomplishes this in us. So it's based on Christ's work, and it's the Holy Spirit who accomplishes it in us. And we can go back and say, this was the Father's plan. 
So the whole Trinity is involved in our salvation and our conversion. Let's look at a couple passages that talk about the work of the Spirit. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Someone like to read verse 13 for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Is that correct? Nope. <laughs> oh, first, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. I'm so sorry. I don't usually make mistakes. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. What verse is it? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Okay, so here... Marie's version says, by, in one spirit. Mine says, by one spirit. So again, it's that same little word to be translated either way. <clears throat> so this talks about becoming the body of Christ. And we'll look at this uh, more in the next section about being one body. But again, we, it's by the spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Let's look at uh, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Someone like to read verses 5 and 6 for us. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Okay, so we've got this washing again. We which is one of the things we talked about earlier, you know, by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the agent in, in the church age that um, baptizes us into the body, who seals us, who washes us. <coughs> Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, someone would like to read verse uh, 2 for us. Okay, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So the Spirit also sanctifies us. So it's done through the work of Jesus Christ or based on the work of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the agent who actually does this in the world uh, when, when we have faith. So that ties up the end of verse 11 of what God has done um, you know, after all these examples of uh, sinful lifestyles, um, Paul's telling them what God has done to set them free from that. And so now as we get into the next section, starting in verse 12, we're going to look at, um, at it's basically the sexual immorality, the fornication. And Paul's going to attack the the underlying philosophy that they use to justify or excuse or rationalize this. And then we'll also um, look at the true purpose of the believer's body as we get toward the end of the chapter. So look at verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. 
All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So twice he says, you know, all things are lawful or permissible. And he says, for me, for himself. He, so he's using himself as an example here. Um, everything's lawful. Let's turn to chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to like to read verse 23 for us. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Okay, so here we have it again. All things are lawful. What on earth does Paul mean by that? Can we do anything we want? So, so let's look at that. So one of the things that the, the commentaries say is this might have been like some kind of a catchphrase that the Corinthians were aware of and so they were using that to justify um, their abuse of, of Christian liberty. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what they meant by that because I didn't give an example, but that's what they were saying. Hey, I can, you know, I'm saved. Everything's lawful. The law is gone. It's been satisfied. So let's look at uh, this distinction between lawfulness, liberty, what, what does it mean? Let's turn it back to Galatians chapter 5. So Galatians is where Paul really is dealing with believers who are being urged to go back under the law. So he's talking to them about their liberty. Um, let's look at, in chapter 5, would someone like to read verse 1? Okay, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. This yoke of slavery is legalism. He's talking about the Judaizers who come in with the Mosaic law and they want to put this yoke back on them. And so as you go through Galatians, you know, over and over again, well, part of what we read earlier is you were not justified by keeping the law. It doesn't work. The Jews had the law for 1,400 years. It didn't save any of them. Yeah, it just, um, he said, don't go back under that. Christ set you free from that, that system. You know, things are, no, everything is lawful because there is no longer a Mosaic law. And this is one of the things that's kind of scary to a lot of believers. You know, and I've got friends who are, uh, in a Nazarene church, which is an Arminian church, where you know they, they worry about you can lose your salvation, and and the argument there about you know saying well you, you know you know I don't believe you can lose your salvation, and they said well then you're just going to go out and do anything you want, and and you don't you know you got your ticket, yeah. you know you need some reason not to sin, <laughs> you know so they worry about this, yeah. and it's legitimate. People abuse this freedom. To, Christ set us free. So, Galatians chapter 5, would someone like to read verses 13 and 14? You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Okay, so Paul's addressing that problem. You're free, but it's not, your freedom is not so you can indulge the flesh. There's boundaries to freedom. Christ set us free, but there are boundaries. Um, and we'll talk about some of the boundaries here. Here, um, in these two verses, there's also a purpose for the freedom. is to serve others. We're free from having to worry about keeping all these laws about, you know, why the ceremonial washing and all this other stuff, you know, which doesn't do us any good anyways, so we can actually look outside ourselves and serve others. And he says, that, you know, you satisfy the law um, by loving your neighbors yourself. So the principle's still there of, in a positive sense of what the law wanted them to do versus the negative sense of all the do-nots and don'ts and, and things that they were trying to keep. So, these two verses tell us there are boundaries to Christian liberty. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, and we will see two of these boundaries. So verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. Now, depending on your version, it may say beneficial, it may say helpful. I've got a Greek-English interlinear that says expedient. Whenever you see a word translated four different ways, it tells you that there's not a real good English word that matches the Greek word. Um, we have that same word in chapter 12, verse 7. Let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. See how it's translated there. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For, for the common good. <laughs> That's how it's translated there. That's the same word. No, not all things are for the common good or for beneficial. So, um, what Paul's saying here is, you know, some activity may be lawful. There's no law given that says it's lawful, but at best it's just a total waste of time. It doesn't do anybody any good. It's not beneficial. It has no... Um, it, just, it just uses up energy. It uses up resources. Um, you've got this freedom so you can do something good with your life. Don't just sit in the basement and play computer games for the rest of your life. <laughs> I mean, that's lawful. They're not breaking any of God's rules, but they're just wasting their lives away. Um, let's look at, turn to chapter 15. Someone read verse 10 for us. Fifteen, verse ten. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Okay, he worked harder than anybody else. Why was it? Because he was trying to earn his salvation. It was paid for. 
He was free to do whatever he wanted, so he used his time, his effort, his resources to reach out to others and bring the gospel to them. So he was an example of what he's preaching here. Um, now let's go back chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We looked last time at verse 23. Would someone like to read 23 and 24? So again, he says, seek the good of others, profit others. Use, your, use the freedom you have in Christ to, to serve others. So there's a, that's a positive thing there. You have freedom, here's something positive to do with it. The second boundary here is, is the negative. Okay, you've got freedom, but watch out, don't do this. In verse, back in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, the second part of the verse says, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Um, and all the commentaries made a point of saying that this verse is a play on words. Because the word be mastered by comes from the same root as lawful. And it's a little hard to explain. <laughs> but... Uh, saying that you know all things are lawful for me means I have authority over the law or I'm above the law okay so I'm over the law it doesn't apply to me I can do whatever I want and so now you can see if you reverse that you're being mastered something has law over you so he's saying you know I have mastery over all these rules and regulations but don't let that don't get in a position where other things have mastery over you. So it's kind of a interesting play on words there, but you know it means basically someone has power over you. Um, he will not allow the abuse of liberty to bring himself under the power of something else, which most likely is sin. <laughs> Let's look at Romans chapter six. Romans chapter 6. So I'd like to read verse 9. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Okay. So death is not ma does have no has no mastery over Christ. Hebrews says the um, Satan uh, uses the, the power of sin is, uh, is death, where the fear of death is the power that Satan uses over people. Mm -hmm. The fear of death mm -hmm. masters people. Uh, still in Romans 6, would someone like to read verse 14 for us? For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, so here, sin does not have dominion. It, it has no right to master us. Um, the law cannot set us free from sin, but grace can. God, in his grace through, through Christ, sets us free from sin. 
which is kind of what we were looking at in verse 11. You know, we've been set free from sin. We're, we're new creations. Um, so sin enslaves us. Um, now, with liberty, you know, you can kind of wander back into sin and become re-enslaved. Um, for example, you know, they drank wine. That was common. However, you know, and, and Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. This is lawful. This is beneficial. But what happens when you drink too much wine? You become an alcoholic, and it enslaves you. So that's what he's saying here. You have liberty to drink some wine. You know, it's not like, um, you know, some churches are very legalistic about this. You can't touch anything with alcohol in it. Um, he says, no, you've got liberty. You can, you can drink some wine, but don't let it master you. Don't become an alcoholic. So we've got all kinds of addictions. Um, drugs, pornography, adrenaline. You know, people, there's runners high. There's people who run just so they can get that endorphins going, you know. Um, gambling, power, fame, wealth. I mean, people are addicted, they can be addicted to everything. Um, and one of the big problems when we do have addictions is, one is denial. You know, I'm not really, I'm not really an alcoholic, I can control myself. Um, the other one is rationalization. And that's possibly what, you know, Paul is dealing with here, is he's got people in the church who, uh, come out of a culture that's just saturated with prostitution and sexual immorality. They may be addicted to that, of some form of it. Um, and it's likely that they've had that. And so they first he has to make them understand, you know, this is wrong. You know, quit rationalizing. Don't deny it. And then deal with it. And so this, this first excuse we see is, well, it's lawful. There's no law against this. I can do it. And he's saying, no, there's boundaries. <laughs> you have liberty in Christ, but there are boundaries. Like so liberty, that's, liberty with limits. <laughs> liberty with limits. Yeah, I think, sometimes I think back of you know, growing up on a cattle ranch. You got a great big field, the cattle are out there, rich grass, but there's a fence around it. Why is the fence around it? So they don't wander off into the highway and get hit by a semi. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying. <laughs> There's a fence here. <laughs> don't go out and get hit by a semi out in the highway and destroy yourself. So this is kind of the first excuse they were using. It's, it's lawful. So let's go on to verses 13 and 14. And this is a little more... Uh, difficult to understand. He says, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. So there's two issues that we're really facing the Corinthians as you go through the book. 
One is food and eating. Meat sacrificed to idols. And he'll, I think in chapter 10, he'll deal with that extensively. The other one is sex and prostitution. So we have these two main areas that seems uh, that they had problems with. And the Corinthians wanted to deal with both of them in exactly the same way. As far as they were considered, they were just the same problem. And Paul's saying, no, no, they're quite a bit different. Um, it starts out with food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. So this is a purely temporal, physical relationship that in itself has really no bearing on their spiritual life. They're free to eat whatever they want, but with some boundaries. So, you know, God gives us food. Well, what good is food if we don't have a stomach? So he's given a stomach so we can eat the food. And, or if you can look at it the other way, God designed us with bodies with stomachs. What are the stomachs for? We need food. So food is for the stomach, the stomach is for food. They go together. Um, there are some boundaries, though. And let's, let's just look at it briefly. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Someone like to read verse 25. Eat anything sold in the meat market. What did we have two verses earlier? In verse 23, all things are lawful. There's no rule against this. Go ahead down to the meat market, pick out whatever you want, and eat it. Someone would like to read verse 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. Both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Okay, now now he's saying, don't eat it. Someone's, someone's making an issue of it. They say, well, wait a second, you're a Christian. This, is, this has been offered to idols. Uh, that's not right for you to eat it. And so he's saying, well, in that case, don't eat it. Restrict your liberty for the sake of their conscience. Daryl, yeah. this is probably a, a stupid question, but... Um, the Corinthian church are these believers that have been converted and are in the church or yes really I was assuming most of them are mm-hmm. no, he, but yet these things are still there yes that's their, their um, they've grown up in that environment this is all around them this is, their culture is saturated with this and, and Paul's trying to straighten them out because now, there, we did have one passage where it talked about those who are called believers. So there's, there may be some in the church who claim to be believers but really aren't. So, which is, there's wheat and tares, yeah. That's the way the church is. Um, and, they, and they wouldn't have, you know, they're going to basically be first or second generation. I mean, they haven't had a long history of right. belief. Right, right. This is all new to them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah if, but if, if they're believers, if they aren't believers, what are they doing in a church? But 
You know, oh, yeah. he's not speaking. He's not speaking to the whole Corinthian community. Right, right. Just, no. just to the people he's within. The, those who are within the church. Right. In this, in their, in the Corinthian church. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and and we have people who come to church. For, you know, we look at old sin natures, and I think one type of sin nature is the person who's religious. Yeah. The Mormon church is full of them. They love the religion, yeah. and they, yeah. But they haven't had a. But they have no relation with Christ, right? Yeah. So. Okay, First Corinthians ten. Someone like to read verse thirty-one. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay, so what are we looking at here? Half a dozen verses. You can eat whatever you want. <coughs> oh well, then don't eat. So here's, a, here's our freedom, then a boundary, and a negative boundary, and now there's the positive side of it. Do it for God's glory. Whether you eat it, don't eat it, do it for God's glory. So there's negatives and positives that still govern our decisions. Let's turn back to chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Someone like to read verse 13 for us. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Okay. So here he's restricting his diet for the sake of his brother. So that's another boundary on this meat eating. Do it for God's glory. Do what's best for your, your brother believer. You know, if someone makes an issue of it, <coughs> restrain yourself. So we... You know, this idea of voluntarily restricting our liberty for the sake of others and for God's glory. So apparently, the Corinthians had not been keeping these boundaries in their practices. And so that's why Paul has to rebuke them and correct them. Uh, you might say they were eating promiscuity promiscuously <laughs> promiscuously yes thank you promiscuously but they were applying this same attitude to sexual relations now Paul grants to them that food is a relatively minor issue he concludes it's only temporal because he says God will do away with both of them He'll do away with food. He'll do away with the stomach. They're not eternal things. This is temporal. It's really not that big a deal. Um, but God sets this up. Why did, you know, he's, he's not really dealing with this issue. Paul is not really dealing with the issue of meat here in this chapter. He'll take care of it later. But he's using it here to set up a contrast with the real problem, which is their fornication. So the Corinthians were insisting that sex was just as natural, just as physical, and just as temporal as eating. This is just a purely physical thing, you know. Um, and Paul says, no, that's not true. And so here he sets up a parallel to contrast it with food. He says, the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. And God has raised the Lord and will raise our bodies. So they were thinking 
Well, the body is for sex, and sex is for the body, just like food and stomach. But that's not what Paul says. No, the body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Um, they said that, you know, they were saying that the body and sex, they'll be done away with just like the food and stomach. You know, so this temple was no big deal. And that this idea might be linked to the... Um, they had some false teaching of that there would be no resurrection. There would be no resurrection of the body. Let's look at chapter 15. Someone like to verse, read verse 12 for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Okay, so some were saying there's no resurrection. So then the body dies. So there's no big deal what you do with your body. It's temporal, it's gone. It's not part of your eternal relationship with God. And Paul says that's not true. He's denying both of these ideas. That the body is temporal and that it's, it's for the purpose of uh, sexual immorality. And he says that specifically. Yet the body is not for immorality. Because that's what they were saying. It was for the body for sex, sex for the body. And they're both going to be done away with, just like food and stomach. He said, no, no, you're wrong on both counts. And so, what Paul's going to go on and say here is that the relationship between the body the human body and the Lord is not temporal. It is eternal. God raises the body from the dead. He raised Christ and his body. He's raising our bodies from the dead and they will be eternal in that relationship. You know, it's not a temporal, just physical relationship. It's an eternal relationship. And so... Um, We'll go on and see in the next section, in 15 through 17, he'll explain some more about what does it mean that the body is for the Lord. So the Lord is for our bodies. Um, you know, he's died to conquer death. He's the basis of our resurrection, of having eternal um, glorified bodies. But what about the second part, our body for the Lord? So well, that's a good place to break. Joe. Dear Lord, we thank you for this word, this word that is here to speak to us. Pray that we are here ready to listen to what you have for, for us and from your word. We thank you that we have the opportunity to come and worship. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, as this um, season that we remember the sacrifice of Christ and, and his coming to earth and dying for our sins. Jesus, thank you. We put him first in, in our conversation and our um, ability of, of talking to others and just that he'll be formal and foremost and be the one that we are speaking of and, and thinking of and, and that we bring glory to him in all we do. We thank you for this hour, for the next hour to come. You're fresh and pray. Amen. Amen.